Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. All right, Craig, we are back here on the Ohioan. Um, I'm not a huge baseball guy today, and which is fine. And I'm getting too old to make fun of people if they don't like exactly what I like. We tease Craig. Uh, Craig's here with us, and Craig's watched a lot of baseball. So it's fine. It's a very gentle teasing. But hey, if you honestly, my opinion, you know, we got to tease each other somehow. But Hey, if you like baseball, you like baseball. I mean, I like stuff that other people don't like. Hey, you know, <laughs> live and let live. It's fine. Um, but, you know, when I love baseball, Craig, um, I would follow Pete Rose. Now, I got to be honest, uh, Pete was at the end of his career as I was <laughs> starting, as I was a young guy. So I, I remember watching all of Pete Rose, and Pete Rose was kind of an older guy. But he was definitely a notable guy. Um, played with the Reds. Phillies, Expos. I mean, it was just a, a big performer. And then, you know, we had Randy Ludlow on about a week or so ago. And Randy was talking about he was part of a journalism team that really covered the end of Pete Rose when uh, he admitted gambling on baseball. And Pete Rose was turning 80 yesterday. Well, oh, well, P- Pete's 80 this week. Let's put it that way. Um, man, time's flying, Craig. I know Pete was kind of a older player when you were a young kid, but man, man, our our heroes are all getting old. Yeah. It's always kind of a a jarring experience sometimes when you see these, these larger than life sports figures pass away or get older and age and not either look the same that they once did when you saw them on the ball field or just uh, sort of become a more of a shell of them of themselves. And, you know, obviously Pete Rose has, you know, one of the things about him, though, is he stayed sort of in the public eye for so many years that you kind of have seen him age rather than just being one of those cases where, well, we haven't seen Pete in 15, 20 years. Let's, what's he up to now? Well, now he's completely different than what you remember him. But I think Pete's kind of been, you know, every year you kind of go back and, you know, he talks about the Hall of Fame or he signs, you know, baseballs at the Hall of Fame, whatever it may be. And, you know, you kind of get a chance to see what he looks like and see how he is health-wise and, you know, maybe he's a little bit different case than some other players where it's a shock and awe when you see them for the first time in a decade or two. Well, interesting news. Um, this is the Inquirer. Obviously, they've been big in the uh, just in the coverage of Pete from his <clears throat> career to the sad end. Because in case you don't know, um, he Pete managed, and there's times when he was a player manager, which you know it's happened throughout sport, but 
you don't see a lot of player managers anymore. You don't, you really see a lot of player managers even when it happened. But Pete was a player manager for the Reds, and he got barred from baseball. He got barred from the Hall of Fame when he admitted to betting on games that he was involved in. And um, well, well, I guess that was the question, right? Uh, there was some question on was he betting on games he was involved in, or was he just betting on other baseball games, right? Right, yeah. Um, and I think that's what what Pete kind of questioned. I think Pete wasn't admitting to betting on games he was managing. I think he was more saying, hey, I was betting on some other games. And I think that's where the argument kind of came in for, where if she, he should be involved with the Hall of Fame or not. Um, it's interesting. You know, Pete turns 80, obviously a momentous time. Uh, since the Inquirer was able to do some stories about him. And actually, there was... A, they call it media availability, so I'm not sure if it was a one-on-one interview, but um, Pete was available, uh, probably a Zoom call with COVID, where some reporters got a chance to talk to him. Well, why he talked to the media was, uh, get this, Craig, he announced he's going to provide exclusive daily baseball picks for subscribers on an online sports gambling site. Now, you gotta, now it sounds like, whoa, what's going on here? But Sport is in a different place. I mean, back in the 80s, my goodness, if you were gambling, you know, uh, it was horrible. If you were a fan or if you were a, um, you know, player manager or whatever the case might be. But it's changed now. I mean, a lot of sports has embraced gambling. Uh, you look at the Indians. If you want to watch the Indians now, you're watching them on Bally Sport. <laughs> I mean, a casino right. has bought the gaming rights for the sports network. Yeah. Um. I Thursday this week, um, from what I understand, um, you know, ESPN does a lot of the NBA coverage. Um, there's a game between Brooklyn and Philadelphia. Where on ESPN, you can watch a game like normal, you know, just the normal broadcast and uh, analysis and everything. ESPN two, they're actually having a gambling broadcast where the broadcast is more based on what things you can gamble on. You know, where are the lines, how to realign, and everything else. <clears throat> Right. I, and man, Craig, even five, ten years ago, we would have never thought this day was going to happen. So that's what I'm trying to scratch my head about. I mean, I think even in today's rules, you can't bet on your own games. As a manager, as a player, even if you're a trainer, or even if you're the bat, ball boy or bat boy or whatever, you can't bet on your own games. There's an advantage that's just not fair that you can do. But it's weird. And I'm imagining as a player, baseball doesn't want you betting on other games too or managers, whatever the case might be. I I kind of rethink this whole Pete thing because if he – I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame if he's bet as a player or a manager, but it kind of seems contradictory now when baseball is embracing gambling in, in itself. I mean, I know it was a different time, but it, it's kind of odd. Yeah, you know, and I guess as you know, to, to sort of put a bow on Pete Rose's involvement, you know, it, it's believed that he only bet while being a manager of the Reds. Um, which did they ever say he did they ever accuse him of betting on Reds games or well, he admitted he bet on the Reds as a manager. Oh, okay, um, okay. Now, his his quote that he's given, I think he gave one, I, I looked, I looked up and I believe in like 2007, he told ESPN he bet on his team every night. But 
he never really said like he bet against them. He just said he bet on his team every night because he loved his team and he loved his players and all that good stuff. Now, I find it hard to believe that in a game of baseball where you can lose 60 times and still make the playoffs and be one of the best teams in the world. So my thought process is there's had to have been a couple of nights where he bet saying, look, we're going to get beat tonight because we're facing whoever. And right. or maybe we have someone on the mound that we just don't trust. That's the way baseball works. You're going to lose a few games here and there. It's just the way it is. So I find it hard to believe that he didn't bet against the Reds in a negative way. I can't imagine he bet them, you know, bet them to go 162 and 0. But as a player, it looks like he didn't bet on them. So I guess when you're talking about should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame, probably maybe should as a player, not as a manager because he didn't do anything good as a manager anyway. But as a player, he played the game the right way and, you know, he certainly has earned his right as a player to be in the Hall of Fame. But you're right. You know, we're giving, we're going down a, a strange sort of slippery slope here where betting has become more a part of society. I mean, how many times when it's Super Bowl week do we talk about, you know, prop bets, like what the heads are, you know, if it's going to be heads or tails or how long, uh, you know, the national anthem is going to go or, you know, who's going to be the first person to have a penalty thrown, you know, a penalty flag thrown against them. So betting has become such a huge part of our of our lives, but I guess the assumption is is that no players or coaches get involved in said betting, and I don't I don't believe that. I honestly do not believe that because there's got to be some sort of an enticement, whether it's maybe them directly betting or someone in you know direct you know indirectly betting for them. But I, I find it hard to believe that of all the sports out there, that not one single player has placed a bet in their game or any other game going on. So I think we're kind of promoting this. Let's, you know, you can, you can bet on games. Now, I think if we found out that, uh, you know, LeBron James bet on the Lakers every night, we'd probably pause a little bit, but the encouragement to, for everybody else to, to bet has, has certainly become, you know, commonplace and it's going to continue to come become commonplace and I've watched some of the Bally sports coverage of teams and they mention, you know, betting, they have a, you know, sort of a package dedicated to, you know, lines of, you know, what the, what the, the score lines are and, you know, who's favored in a game and stuff like that. And ESPN even has, you know, a new, a betting show that they have on ESPN plus that they'll sometimes, you know, share on ESPN networks that yeah. talk about betting lines and who, who a certain person believes, you know, uh, you know, they should bet on it that given night if you're looking to bet. So everybody's sort of embraced it. I'm not saying that we should embrace Pete Rose because everybody's embracing betting now. But, you know, it, it just makes you wonder, though, if maybe we should. Well, and I wonder, too, and, and help me out a little bit because I'm, as I flubbed the Pete Rose thing, I'm, I'm not up on sports gambling a little bit. But, you know, 20 years ago, there used to be these point-shaving scandals. And what that would mean is, say, like the Lakers are favored to beat the Cavs by nine and a half. So if you bet money for the Lakers, you're saying the Lakers need to win by 10 points or more. Right. And if you bet money on the Cavs, you're saying, well, if the Cavs win, you win. Or if the Lakers win by less than nine points, you win. So the point-shaving would be if you go to somebody for Lakers and say, okay, Keep screwing up, you can win the game, but you can't win the game by more than nine points. 
So right. there have been times in the past, and I hate picking the Lakers just for example, but there have been times in the past where guys would intentionally goof up when the team would still win the game, but they would flub up on purpose. That way, you know, they keep the betters happy, and they would get paid by it. And if they don't do it, sometimes their lives got threatened. It, it was crazy. Right. Well, I wonder that's wrong. And obviously that should not be promoted at all, or, or that shouldn't be okay. What's the difference, though, where, you know, we talk about beat writers. Like, we have beat writers that cover our professional teams and college teams and everybody else. You talk about that slippery slope. Well, what's that slippery slope if, let's say, they hire Craig to say, hey, you're covering the Lakers. Now, you're not a point-shaving guy. You're not threatening LeBron if he doesn't win a game or whatever. But what if you're inside the locker room, you make relationship with the players, and, and you say, hey, Give information for us. And, and we know it already happens, but why wouldn't betters do that more and more and more where some of your assembled media are, are just people who are, you know, you're trying to build a relationship with LeBron where you sit there and say, hey, LeBron, hey, hey, tell me how the other guys are feeling tonight and everything. So it may not be stuff that goes on the website in terms of like a story, but or, or what would stop gamblers from going to a player and saying, look, you don't have to – shave or point shave or do anything else like that. But could you email us each night? Hey, are the players feeling okay? Did they go out too late? Right. Um, is is the star of the team tired or, or what else the case might be? I mean, how do you legislate that? And, or do you legislate that? Is that another perk that player <clears throat> get? You know, I don't know. Well, yeah, it's funny you bring that point up because I, I kind of think of it well, as, you, as you were saying that, I was kind of thinking about how the NFL works when – you know, each week you have to release an injury summary report on injured players and their practice availability and, and what right. they've done at practice. I, you know, you used to kind of think that that was done in the fairness of the game, but then you kind of started wondering why, why is, why does that matter? You know, other than for betting campuses, yeah, right. because if the new England Patriots had Tom Brady, when they had Tom Brady and he was playing, Odds are they'd be favored. If Tom Brady was hurt, you didn't know it, they wouldn't be favored, likely, or their their point spread would drop drastically, and maybe they'd be favored by a point or two or three instead of seven or ten. Right. So I got I got to thinking like these these injury reports are not for the sake of schematical issues between NFL teams or being able to make sure you're ready and prepared for Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or whoever it may be. It's more about gambling. It's it really truly is because you know there's a lot at stake with money and now that we've embraced gambling sort of in, in sports and, and many states are going to legalize gambling, you know that's that's the reason why these injury reports exist in my opinion. I don't think you know if I'm the New England Patriots, they've always been kind of close to the chest with 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 everything that they've done injury wise and just say oh they've got a knee or they've got a this or that. So, you know, Bill Belichick's always been very calm about talking about injuries, not wanting to release too much. But, you know, they've gotten, people have gotten fined over the years for not releasing injury reports. And you wonder why. It's like, what is, it, what is the difference if there's a schematical uh, advantage for not playing or for playing someone? That's their prerogative, you know. That'd be like saying that it's unfair for you to have better coaches than another team because it's going to give you an unfair advantage to win. I mean, that's the equivalent of this injury thing, so it's got to be for gambling. 
So how do we set the rules then? Because, I mean, we can talk about the Reds because that's for Pete Rose manage, but this could go for baseball, football, hockey, whatever. I mean, it, it's rules you can manage for all sports. So in our 2021 gambling where we're supposedly embracing gambling, you know, with everything we're seeing, okay, you can't bet on your own game, right? I mean, that should be a rule. Right. I mean, now I don't know if that's what's going happen, but I, I think that, that's pretty much common sense. Um, so, if you're a player, should that, and that probably would be for also a team employee, right? I would think so. I mean, because... So, so, if you worked on the, if you got that PR job for the Reds, or if you're the Reds social media manager, you shouldn't bet on your own team, correct? I would think that you wouldn't be encouraged to, at the very least. Maybe it's not discouraged, though. I don't know. Well, I think, I guess the point I'm trying to make for all this is if we're kind of embracing gambling as sport, let's make sure these rules are very, very set. Because say you're the uh, beer, now now, granted, if you're the beer guy at Reds game, you you may not necessarily be working for Reds, you could be working for a third party. You know, we talked recently about that with Kroger. But if you're at all affiliated with the team, and, and, you know, you might say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Those guys aren't getting paid that much. Well, well, here's where the challenge comes. Okay, if I'm the parking lot attendant for a Reds team, I may not know a lot about the players, but, you know, I know, like, I'll see the players driving in. And stuff. And you might see something. You might hear something. I'm right. hearing there's all kinds of rumors. So I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, Lex, and it's not up to you and me. We're not getting paid for doing this. But what I'm saying is, I think we need to set clear-cut rules for what you can and can't do. I mean, if you're an employee of a team, you're allowed to bet. And here's the other thing would be is how do you set up – because it's happening now. It it has to be happening now. Is gamblers allowed to contact players or team employees? Because, again, if I'm a gambler or if I'm a casino – because these casinos have to set their lines – you know, why their lines are accurate sometimes because they're getting this information. So it's happening if we like it or not. But how do we set up rules to say if you're a gambler or if you're a casino operator or, or if you're the guy at the casino that sets the line, are you allowed to contact people? Are you allowed to contact players? Are you allowed to contact employees? Are you, I'm, I mean, yeah, they're doing their research, but how close of a research that you can do? Because if you're contacting players, hey, if I'm if I get a relationship with the superstar of the team, the player has got to be getting something from me if they're giving me all this information. Right. You know, I, I can't just email LeBron tonight and say, hey, LeBron, tell me about the Lakers. I mean, LeBron's going to be like, uh, you remember the media? And if I'm not, well, why should I talk to you? Well, hey, here's some money for you. You know what I mean? So right. and, and we got to set up these rules because if we're not, we're going to get into real bad, bad stuff down the road. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's possible, honestly, to set you know specific guidelines because, like you said, it could be something as simple as the parking attendant or the stadium or the or, you know the events manager overheard someone saying that they were out late too you know out, out too late last night and little little kind of nuanced things like that can impact whether or not someone wins a game you know and sports are so unique that anything could happen on any given night unless the players are specifically trying to lose in a, like a point shaving scandal. So it's even, it's harder because, you know, 
you don't you don't you never know when someone's going to have an off night in the NBA, and it might just be because they had an off night in the NBA because it's hard to be consistent all the time. So well, let's make it really real. Um, yeah, you might say, hey, if you're a star of a team, you don't need the extra ten thousand for giving tips. What about reporters? I, I mean, hey, you know, sometimes professional sports beat writers get paid maybe a little bit more than us, but they're not getting paid six figures. Right. I mean. At least most of the ones I know are getting paid six figures. Well, how do you do that? Because, again, and I'm not saying people are taking money under the table, but, you know, that's a fine line. Because, hey, if you cover the team, you might know more. Right. And I know Gannett has some very clear ethics rules. I'm sure Gannett wouldn't like that if that comes out. But, you know, Gannett does own every paper in the world. So how – do you do that? I mean, there's a fine line, and Craig, there's a million ethics questions come up that I'm not sure if any of us have tackled yet. So it's an interesting debate. That's that's for sure. I, we started talking about Pete Rose, and now we're talking about sports in general with gambling. So it's it's a very unique situation that we live in now. Well, and that's why it's become relevant. I mean, I know there's a lot of Pete Rose fans that are they get uptight and upset about that stuff, but right. it's relevant today because of that reason. So. Yeah. I'm looking at the time. We need to get to our next segment. But, um, you know, thank you for checking the Highland. Let us know what you think about this. Are you a Pete Rose fan or are you not? And what where should sports gambling go um, in the future? Let us know, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the future. Uh, as of the moment, Ohio has not legalized sports gambling. It may change. Some people are looking to change that, too. So we'll talk about it as time goes on. Thanks for checking out the Highland. Have a great day. All right. Back here in the Ohio wind. Craig has his COVID card. I didn't realize this, and we didn't ask Craig. It wasn't Craig's fault. We didn't ask him. Uh, he got vaccinated early because his wife is in the um, home health care field, right? Right. Takes care of her brother yeah. who, you know, a lot. We all, you know, I'm in contact with her, so that means I'm in contact with him. And everybody, uh, you know, that could have come in contact with him essentially got, you know, got the vaccine. So that's we lucked out, you know, a lot of it, I didn't want to talk too much about it because I didn't want people to maybe be salty that I received a vaccine before, well, you know, in an older age range that probably needs it more than I do. But, um, you know, I was very fortunate and lucky to get it. And I, I jumped at the chance. All right. Yeah. So, so Craig got a chance to be vaccinated, which is great. Uh, I am going for the process. I'm two weeks away from it. And, and Craig, we all like free stuff, man. I mean, you know, our, paper we work for usa today they always do the hey it's valentine's day here's what we can get you know or here's father's day here's the deals or whatever well there's covid deals and uh one quickly go for the deals um because you got your vaccination card i got half of mine so i, I guess i can <laughs> use it too here's what you can get uh, we talked to ad nauseum about the free crispy cream donuts i can tell you craig there is a crispy cream about a Ah, probably get there a ten minute drive from here. I have not gone yet. I eat enough crap at my house, and, and you know I, I think I've gained the COVID fifteen. So if I were going to go to Krispy Kreme, I'm going to do that more, which <laughs> won't be good. Um, Sam Adams is offering a free beer. Uh, we're not beer drinkers, but I guess if you're into beer, hey, you can get free beer from Sam Adams. I, I'm hoping or thinking it's at least it's one. I'm sure it's not one a day, right? I, uh, you know, I don't know. Let's, uh, you know, that that'd be uh, 
interesting if that were the case. Uh, uh, well, okay, well, well, they're saying you get one free. Okay. Right. This is about to say, if you got a lot, it would be kind of weird. So, yeah, you can get free beer uh, with uh, a COVID card. Uh, let's see, what else, what else can you get here? Um, you know, they talk about you can get your vaccination card laminated for free at um, Staples Office Depot or Office Max. I'm hearing stuff both ways. They're saying, hey, if you get vaccinated, you need a booster shot. Yeah. You know, lamination might hurt you. So I don't know. Right. And you can smudge the, you know, the, the writing on it as well. So, yeah, I've heard more negative about lamination than positive. So I'm, I'm going to avoid the lamination. We are blessed. Uh, there's sometimes employers will give you uh, paid time off to get vaccinated. Um, kind of weird. Oh, I wouldn't say weird with my boss, but uh, Gannett uh, is where Craig and I work for. Um, it's interesting. They'll give you a couple hours paid, I'm assuming, to get your vaccination. And they also uh, offered everyone an extra day off. They just say, hey, it's kind of our thanks. Uh, just been a tough year. Take an extra day off to do what you need to do. So yeah. I will say, Craig, I'm taking my day off the day after my second vaccination. That's a good um, idea. <laughs> You're probably yeah. going to want it. You're not going to enjoy that day so much, maybe, but uh, it's a good idea to take that day off, though, I will say. I felt a little bit more tired after the first vaccination. I don't know. I mean, I get tired. Ask, ask my family. I get tired pretty quick. So <laughs> I don't know if it was just my natural being tired or if it was because of COVID. But, yeah, just go and take it easy. Sit down, pull on some movies. If I sleep, I sleep. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, um, right now, I'm not seeing too many other deals, and obviously, you want to get a, um, yeah, you, know, you want to get your vaccination for health of yourself and other people. But it's interesting. Um, they, I guess, there's some local places, like there's a place in Brooklyn that's offering uh, cheesecake, and uh, you know, depending on where you live at, yeah. Um, there is a so good, so you. It's a juice company. That's saying, get your shot, get our shot free, and you can go to freejuiceshot.com. And we'll have the link to this whole story there. You can read it on your own. But they'll give you an orange juice shot if you get your vaccine shot. So I don't know. I, it, interesting. There's not a lot of deals. I mean, when you get your vaccine card, it's not like everyone's going to give you stuff. But <laughs> kind of interesting to see what's out there, Craig. So. Could you imagine if we had like another stimulus check attached to getting your vaccine? Oh you know, could you imagine how many more people would be getting the vaccine if we had, even if it was just a little, you know, maybe they should have held some of that back from the uh, $1,400 uh, stimulus to, to try to entice people to get the, the vaccine. Now, I don't know if that's something that could be done or should be done ethically, but, you know, you know, we've, we've, been, we've been trying to tell people to get vaccines and, you know, Maybe they just needed a little uh, incentive like that to, to put it over the top. Some people still would say no, but, you know, I'm sure there'd be a few more people that would say yes if they got, you know, another stimulus round or something like that. You would think that some um, companies might offer like a, a cash bonus or something. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. Now, we're in a business journalism where you don't necessarily have to be in the office. Uh, we've learned those lessons over the past year from working from home. I, I will say the job I'm working at, we don't have to go to the office at all because we're working for different papers around the state. So, you know, why do you need to go to one physical location? Uh, but 
I know a lot of companies out there are saying, hey, you know, we may not need to go back to the office. So right. it's not worth necessarily paying your employees because I guess the, the fear of going back to the office was, hey, in your drive-in or if you're walking in the city of a bunch of people, hey, you know, you, there might be a risk. But, hey, living at home, you don't have to do that. So, right. Stuff. So let us know what you think. Um, what have you seen out there? I mean, you know, USATA has heard of everything. Right. right. Maybe you know of a deal out there. Let us know. Um, and what would you like to see? I mean, Craig's like, hey, give me money, government. <laughs> out. Oh, no, well, we won't say that. But, you know, what's out there, what's available, and what could you want? So uh, definitely check that out. Uh, thanks for checking out the Highland. Have a great day. Hang on. All right, we're back here on the Ohio win. Uh, I'm here with Craig, and we always love having guests on the show. And uh, from the Rutherford B. Hayes Presidential Library and Museums, uh, we have Christina Smith, who's the Marketing and Communication Director for the Center with us. Uh, Christina, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me today. How are you yeah. guys doing? Doing well. Great. And, you know, it, it's funny, um, Ohio... One of the things Ohio is known for is a, all the presidents have come from Ohio. Um, I, I think what we have overall is it like six or seven, I believe. Well, um, we actually claim eight, but it kind of depends yeah. because some of the okay. other states claim them too, like Benjamin Harrison, for example. Once you hit the Indiana state line, it says uh, oh, okay. home of Hoosier president Benjamin Harrison, but Ohio claims him because he was born here. Um, same kind of thing with Ulysses Grant. Some other states claim him as well, but he was born here. So we say we have eight, but it depends on how you do your counting. Is it a big argument with historians? I mean, I know you guys more work with Rutherford B. Hayes, but is there like an argument between Ohio and Indiana because of that? Um, I don't think so. I think it's more, you see it more in marketing. Like I, recently, oh, okay. I heard a commercial for Virginia that said they had the most presidents. And then in my mind, I'm like, well, no, Ohio has the most presidents. So oh, I think okay. it's more a marketing thing. I don't think historians care too much because they're like, well, uh, like when we give tours of the house and we get to the portrait of Ulysses Grant, I'm like, and he's from Ohio. And then if you have somebody from, you know, like Missouri or Illinois, they're like, now, wait a minute. I'm like, well, he was born here, but we can fight about that later. So, yeah, I always wonder, like, you know, obviously, you know, between states is big, you know, rivalries of football, like Ohio State, Michigan. Are we going to have a rivalry with Indiana over, you know, Harrison? Like, is uh, <laughs> Harrison's going to get some upset with each other. Uh, you know, when I went to visit the Harrison house, I was with my parents, and my dad actually asked the tour guide, he's like, Well, isn't he an Ohio president? And the guy says, Well, no, because he was elected from Indiana, but he didn't seem too bothered by it. He didn't kick you guys out of the museum. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, but, but let's get back to Rutherford B. Hayes, because I'm sure if Hayes is listening somewhere, wherever he's at, he's probably like, why don't you talk about me? And not <laughs> Tell me a little bit about Rutherford B. Hayes. What don't we know about him? What should we know about Hayes? Yeah, so a lot of people um, don't know much about Hayes. I ask all my tours uh, when they come in the front door, you know, how much do you guys know? And I think I've had maybe five, six people in the last year um, who are like, oh, I read his autobiography and I know this, this and this. Most people don't know much about him at all. And that's that's normal because 
Um, he kind of gets lost with the bearded presidents after the Civil War. He only served one term. Um, he said from the outset when he got the nomination to run that he was only going to serve one term. Um, he hmm. did not believe in multiple terms. Um, so he kind of, and he didn't preside over, he, he presided over important issues, but it's not like he presided over a war or a major historical event that people in general really remember. So it's kind of normal that you don't know too much about him, but he is definitely worth knowing about. Um, so, so some things that we like to tell people, uh, these are more some kind of fun facts, but he started the White House Easter egg roll. Okay. Um, he is the first president to have a law degree. So other presidents, you know, like Abraham Lincoln, James Buchanan, and so forth, um, were lawyers, of course, but they learned through apprenticeship, whereas um, Hayes uh, has a law degree from Harvard. So he has that in common with President Obama. Um, he had the first phone installed in the White House. He had the first typewriter. So those are kind of some fun things. He really liked gadgets. His wife, Lucy, is the first first lady to have a college degree. Um, so they have some presidential firsts. Um, and then I, I like to tell my tours that if Hayes would want you to know anything about him, the main thing would be that he served um, for the Union Army during the Civil War. Um, okay. So... He felt that was his greatest accomplishment in life, like more important than being president. So even after he was president, he preferred to be called General Hayes and not President Hayes. So um, that's a big thing um, about him. And Civil War was important for his wife, Lucy, too. She used to go visit him and actually take the kids when they were in winter camp in uh, what is today West Virginia um, and visit him. And she'd mend the soldiers' uniforms and she'd tend to the sick. So... Um, those are some kind of highlights about him. We can, if you, you know, if you want to talk about what issues he presided over, we can, but I'll kind of let you guys tell me what you want to talk about. Yeah. Well, no problem. I was just thinking about it. It, it didn't seem to be at that time that, th that there was a lot of, um, was, was there a lot of strife during that time? Like now we're a very divided country. Mm -hmm. It didn't seem like there was a lot of that going on back then. Is that what you understood? Um, actually, there are a lot of parallels, I would say, from back then to today. Oh, okay. um, one, of, one of the main things, I guess I, I really neglected to mention this because I was thinking more about his presidency and his life, but um, Hayes' election uh, remains one of the most contested, if not the most contested in U.S. history. Really? So, okay. Yes. Yeah. So he did not win the popular vote. He won the electoral vote. Um, okay. And so back then, we were about 12 years out of the Civil War. So the North and South are still very, very divided. Um, okay. Not unlike today, I don't think it's a North and South thing, but the country is very divided as, as we are today. And um, so back then they would say you vote how you shot. So if you okay. are a um, Northerner, if you're a Union person, <laughs> most likely you're going to vote for the Republican candidate because at that time the uh, Republican Party is the party of Lincoln. So that would be President Hay or Rutherford B. Hayes. Um, mm. If you are um, more of a, a Southerner, more of a Confederate-leaning person, you're probably going to vote for the Democratic candidate who is Samuel Tilden from New York. Now, actually, Hayes and Tilden had quite a few similarities. Um, so our museum talks about that a little bit more. Um, but long story short, um, the returns come in from the voting 
And there are all kinds of problems. There are states in dispute. At that time, um, freed black men could vote, freed slaves could vote. Um, in the South, at many places, they were intimidated away from the polls. Presumably, they would have voted for Hayes, so he got some electoral votes um, for that um, because their votes, they didn't get to vote, basically. Um, there were some also, I like to say there were shenanigans all around. There was some wrongdoing on the Republican side, too. I'll be honest, I don't know as much about that, but um, there was wrongdoing on both sides. So um, people back then, you know, they vote in November. And they uh, did not know until right before the inauguration who the president was. And back then, they did not inaugurate until March. So as really? you can imagine, this year, we all go to the polls on Tuesday, and we don't know until Saturday who the president is. And that was angst-ridden enough, you know? In right. um, right. Hayes' day, they all go vote, and they don't know until, like, um, you know, March 1st, 2nd, I can't remember the exact date, but a few days before he's inaugurated that he's actually the president. Um, so it was a very, very divided time. Um, not so much Samuel Tilden, but I guess you would say his side or maybe his supporters even talked about taking Washington DC by force because there was this feeling that Hayes had stolen the election. And um, Tilden, both Hayes and Tilden to their credit, um, were willing to step back and say, you know, if the other guys declared the winner, I'm good with that, because they felt that was for the good of the country. So Tilden has a quote, this isn't exact, but to the effect of, um, I know I can retire to private life knowing I was elected to the highest position without having to have any other responsibility. Oh. So he takes office, and there are people who call him rather fraud, um, his fraudulency. There's a political cartoonist who won't even draw his picture throughout his presidency because he says he's not the president. So during the election last year, we actually, our tours were really interested in the election because we kind of, it's definitely yeah. not the same, but we sort of have been there um, before. So... Um, and at that point, one of the things that I would say Hayes is known for, and now we're getting into more nuanced stuff, is a lot of people, he did end Reconstruction in the South. Uh, however, um, it's commonly sort of accepted that that he did this to win the presidency, and Reconstruction was pretty much over when he took office. So you guys probably have read a little bit about that, um, you know, recent yeah. different news articles and stuff. So, yeah, I yeah, definitely don't want to gloss over that. Oh, yeah, I'm a history buff. We can talk for eight hours about this. Yeah. And, yeah. And then how do you think, and I apologize, Craig, we're coming here real shortly. Did, because, hey, you know, we've gone through this right now, obviously, with, you know, the last election of Biden and Trump. How was Hayes able to kind of cross that bridge? Because I think that's the thing that the challenge that Biden faces right now, because we've got people kind of saying some similar things now. How did Hayes cross that bridge to kind of unify the country where it didn't sound like we were unified before? Yeah, so he that was the big thing because he only had the four years because he said he was not going to run again. So he spent a lot of his presidency trying to unite the country. Um, he did a lot of traveling. So, you know, back then, obviously, it's not like today. You mostly um, get your news from newspapers. There's no social media. There's no 24-hour news cycle. So um, at that time... Um, like even the territories out West, they might have not even really seen many pictures of the president. So he did a lot of traveling. He did a tour of the South um, to try to unite North and South. He's the first sitting president to travel to the West Coast. And um, so part of why he did that is he felt that 
um, you know, people should really see the president. They should feel, um, you know, that they know him, that he cares about them. So that was part of why he did a lot of the traveling. And just to give you an idea, when he went out west, uh, General Sherman was his bodyguard because this was pre-Secret Service. And more people knew who General Sherman was than Hayes was. So definitely it's hard to imagine because, you know, we're always on Twitter and, and you know, getting videos on Facebook and all that. But back then it was quite a bit different. Um, so he spent most of his time um, trying to be the uniter. Um, well, well, Christina, I, I need to mention this to Craig. Um, Craig, we always talk about great ideas for Ohio and our country. Uh, we should take the Rutherford B. Hayes and, and bring it a step further. Instead of not knowing until a couple of days before inauguration, we can make our inauguration like the Pope, you know, where we don't know who the president is until they walk out. <laughs> the I mean, can you imagine the ratings for that inauguration, especially this time when you know, you're counting up ballots and everything, and inauguration day, they open the door. Is it Trump? Is it Biden? Oh. And they send up the smoke. That would be yeah. awesome. <laughs> It's like, a, it's like a big reveal, like on the uh, when they renovate those homes on the show and they, you know, they pull oh, the yeah. curtain back and there's the house that's totally different than what it was. Maybe they could do that. <laughs> I, the ratings would be interesting. But then I think after about five seconds, you'd probably lose half of the audience, though, I think. Yeah, yeah, Craig, sorry. What, what did you have? Yeah, uh, well, Christina, obviously, I've done a lot of stories on, on Hayes. You know, you've written about Hayes before your time as a, as a journalist, but. If for those of those people out there that may not have ever heard of the Hayes Center and, and what's offered there, tell tell people a, a little bit about what's offered at the museum and the library and the grounds of Spiegel Grove. Yeah, well, it's always great working with you, Craig. Um, nice working with you before and now working with you in this capacity. And um, yeah, so we have quite a bit at the Hayes Presidential Library and Museums. We're located at Spiegel Grove, which is the name of the estate. Um, Spiegel Grove uh, is an official arboretum. Um, we have uh, President Hayes and his wife Lucy's Victorian Mansion. Um, we have the Presidential Library, which is the first in the United States, and um, a two-floor museum, um, which has uh, special exhibits, usually two special exhibits a year, um, three if you count our Christmas train exhibit we have every year. Um, the President and Lucy are buried there. When you come into the property, you drive through original White House gates, and we have White House gates um, from Hayes' time at all of our entrances. There's only one drive-in entrance. The rest are pedestrian. Um, we have a mile of paved trails. Um, we have special events. You can do research there. Um, so there is a, a lot to do depending on what your interest is. Well, tell us a little bit about some of the issues that, uh, that the center faced during the pandemic and it's probably still faces obviously, but tell us some of the issues maybe that the, the, the center, the museum, the, the, the grounds had faced, uh, you know, during the pandemic here. Yeah. So, um, we were hit pretty hard, just like everybody else. Um, so museums took a big hit in their attendance. Most of them saw about 30% of their normal attendance last year. Ours was actually a little bit lower. We saw about 16% of our normal attendance, um, like the rest of Ohio. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm losing my voice here. Like the rest of Ohio, back in March of 2020, we actually shut down. We kind of voluntarily shut down. And then a couple weeks later, or a week later, I can't remember the exact timing, uh, Governor DeWine's ruling came to, to shut down. Um, so a lot of us were working from home for quite a while. We were closed from March until about mid-June. 
and we reopened to members in June, mid-June, and then to the public in late June. Um, so we had a lot of people on furlough. Our house guides obviously were on furlough. We had other staff who were on furlough. Um, so it was an interesting time when we reopened. Normally in the past, we've been open seven days a week. When we reopen, we reopen for three days a week. We've just added a fourth day. So we're kind of seeing how that goes. Um, so obviously we had a pretty big budget deficit because we weren't getting the admissions uh, and doing our normal fundraising, of course, because, you know, lots of businesses were hit pretty hard who normally sponsor us and things like that. Um, so we we basically put out a call to our supporters that we needed help. And um, we're very, very grateful to them because um all, all these people stepped up and gave us uh, gifts, um, you know, financial donations to help us with that. Our sponsors, we couldn't have our events and our sponsors were like, that's okay, keep the money, which was really, really nice. We really appreciate that. Um, and we all kind of cut and tightened our budgets. Um, so everybody sort of looked at what can I not spend? What can, you know, so, um, and it means a lot to us too, the staff who were on furlough, because that had to be difficult. We had we have one staff member who was on furlough for a year, um, and she's just come back uh, to us. And I know that was hard to be away for a year, so we tried to keep in touch with them, you know, through social media and everything. Um, so, current challenges we're, we're very fortunate. Our, our budget is balanced on paper. Hopefully, things will continue to improve um, with with how COVID is going. Um, our visitation has been up. It was fantastic during spring break time and around Easter. So um, we're hoping that more good things are are coming. Sure. Well, I know one of the biggest things that uh, gets people out there, other than some of you know the sleigh rides during the winter and things like that, but you know the museum and the exhibits are are really big sellers. What are some of the uh, maybe unique things about the museum, and what are maybe some of the things uh, going on exhibit wise at uh, the center right now? I love the museum. Um, the museum building itself, the original part was built in 1916. So the museum is almost kind of like an artifact as well. Um, it was added on to twice. So it's a, it's a little bit different. Um, but we have a lot, we have in our collections, we have more than 20,000 artifacts. They're not all on display, um, but I, I love the museum. You, you come in and it really tells, we, we redid the museum, completely renovated it in 2016. And I feel like it really tells the story of Rutherford and Lucy. There are big, bold pictures. We use their letters and diaries. So you really hear about it in their own words. We have some fantastic artifacts. Um, so I think the museum does a good job of, of telling a, a chronological and cohesive story. And what's nice about it is some people come in and they start um, the way that it's set up where you kind of go into setting the stage for the presidency and learning about the presidency. But other people like to start downstairs with their early years in the Civil War and uh, learn about that. So it's, it's kind of nice. You can sort of pick how you want to do it. Um, some of my favorite artifacts that we have in there are some Native American pottery. Um, one of the big issues Hayes dealt with as president is at that time, um, the government had forced Native Americans off their land and they were trying to negotiate to get it back to not be pushed further away. So Hayes met with a lot of Native American delegations, uh, whether it was at the White House or out West, and they gave him gifts and he and Lucy also bought gifts. So I, I love those collections. Um, 
we also have right now we have two special exhibits like i mentioned earlier we try to do two exhibits a year uh with covid obviously um we're keeping our 2020 exhibits through 2021 because a lot of people didn't really get to see them um and right now um we have the press and the presidency which i think is a really great timely exhibit that one opened um before the 2020 election so i feel like that was a really good timely one and that focuses on um U.S. presidents and their relationship with the news media through time. And it also kind of shows how um, media has changed. So obviously, like we talked about earlier in the beginning, it was mostly newspapers and then you know, radio gets added in with FDR and his fireside chats and then TV uh, and now, of course, social media as well. So I think it's it's a really fun exhibit. There are some cool interactives. Um, you can take your picture in a White House press corps and text it to yourself. You can send a telegram, that kind of thing. And then the other exhibit uh, is really fun, and that one is called Ohio and Unnatural History. And so this is about um, creature stories and folklore from Ohio. Um, so if you are like me and are really into, you know, the legends of Bigfoot and um, Dogman of Defiance and the Lake Erie Monster, this is where you can kind of come learn about all that. Um, but what's cool about this exhibit is we don't just show you the stories, but we kind of look at why do these stories persist? Uh, why is folklore important? Um, and we do kind of debunk uh, at least one ghost story in there because what we found out uh, is that it's not true. So um, they're both really fun exhibits. Um, we're still getting a lot of calls because Ohio and Unnatural History actually opened two weeks before we shut down. Um, so we're still getting a lot of calls from people who want to come see that one and the other one as well. Well, and real quick, uh, where can we find more information about the Hayes Center and, and where can people uh, buy tickets for whether it be the house tours or uh, just, uh, you know, going to the museum itself? Um, so you can find all that information on our website. Um, it's rbhays.org. And um, I neglected to mention earlier, one of the things that came out of COVID is uh, we now have online ticketing where you can get your, your tickets in advance to try to have a more touchless experience. And a lot of people like that because then you know if you want to come and do the 10 a.m. tour, you can get the 10 a.m. tour if it's not already sold out. So uh, if you go to rbhays.org and click on visit us and buy tickets, you can find all that there. Um, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram um, at RB Hayes Prez. And we're also on YouTube as well. Excellent. Well, well Christina, well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I am a history buff, so like I say, I, uh, I don't want to keep you too long, but I can talk to you all day about history. And it's really cool to see what you guys are doing there with the center. And good luck. I mean, I know um, COVID is presenting a challenge, but... Hopefully we'll get off COVID before it's super long, but uh, it's good to see you guys have a good plan for keeping moving forward because not everybody can say that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, there are some museums that are still closed. So we've been yeah. very fortunate that we're able to be open. And because the museum's big, we have a lot of room and the house is big enough and we've condensed our, or I guess I shouldn't say condensed our tours, but reduced our tour sizes. So we are able to keep that distancing as well. So. Well, love to have you come back to talk history or, or anything else going off the center. We really appreciate it. Well, that'd be um, great. Thanks, guys. Hang on for a second. And uh, thank you for everybody for checking out the Ohio and check our sponsors. Uh, check out our partner podcast, Hope Interrupted, uh, which dropped a new episode this week. Have a great day, everybody. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. 
Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.